If you're not living in obedience to God's Word and happiness is in short supply, there's a good reason. The two are directly connected. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how obeying God is linked to many parts of your life, making it essential to the process of spiritual renewal. From his series in Nehemiah, here's David to introduce the conclusion of Getting Serious About Obedience. Thank you for joining us. It's the Friday edition of Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah. We're studying the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. We're not studying the whole book. The first half of the book is all about a a building project that Nehemiah led in restructuring the walls that were broken down in Israel. But the second half of the book is about restructuring your life and renewal. What happened then was what happens to us often. The people got so busy with the project they were doing that they let their inward relationship with God uh, go sour. And so they began to have some really bad things happening to them. Uh, When you lose your relationship with God, even as a God follower, as a Christ follower, um, it doesn't turn out very well for you. You've probably discovered that once or twice in your life. So Nehemiah and Ezra come together and they construct this plan for spiritual renewal to bring the people back to obedience. It's a wonderful section of the Old Testament, often overlooked, but so very prevalent and so very important for us as we begin this new year together. Today, we're going to finish up what we started yesterday, getting serious about obedience. Hey, can I just tell you one of the things I've learned about obedience? You've heard me say it before, but it's a good way to keep this before us in this series. Here's what I've said. The time between when God tells you to do something and when you ultimately do it, that time belongs to the devil. It doesn't belong to God. When God tells you to do something, you do it immediately. You don't need to debate it. I mean, if God were standing in front of you physically and told you to do something, you wouldn't say, well, Lord, can I go home and pray about it? No, you would do it. And he expects that from us. And frankly, that's the way you find joy in your life. When he says it, you do it. And he blesses that. The people of Israel were learning that in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We're learning it today, and we'll get back to it in just a moment. First, let me just tell you a little bit more about the resource for the month of January. It's a beautiful, beautiful code book. It's one of the code book series from O.S. Hawkins. Forty scripture prayers every believer uh, should read and study. And, well, this book will really encourage you. You know, sometimes when people talk about prayer, They leave those who listen to them uh, in a heap of guilt and remorse because nobody could ever say, I pray as much as I should or as good as I should. But Owens Hawkins doesn't do that. He doesn't make us feel guilty. He makes us feel excited about praying and what God can do for it. Prayer simply defined as talking to God, and it's a two-way conversation, and uh, in the books of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, there are over 650 different recorded prayers. OS has selected 40 of them. And you want to have this book in your library. Most of all, you want its truth in your heart. You can get it for a gift of any size during the month of January. Ask for your copy when you send your gift today. Here's part two of Getting Serious About Obedience. One of my favorite writers is the man Tozer. The more I learned about him, the more I love him and impressed with him. But A.W. Tozer had a way of saying things you could not forget. He would talk about the truth of the Word of God in one of his books called The Pursuit of God. 
he makes this statement about spiritual hunger. He says, why is it that some people find God in a way that others do not? Why does God manifest his presence to some and then let multitudes of others struggle along in imperfect Christian experience? Of course, the will of God is the same for all, he writes. He has no favorites in his household. All that he has ever done for any of his children, he will do for all of his children. The difference lies not with God. The difference lies with us. Pick at random, says Tozer, a score of great saints whose lives and testimonies are widely known. Let them be Bible characters or well-known Christians of post-biblical times. You will be struck instantly with the fact that the saints were not alike. Sometimes the unlikeness were so great as to be positively glaring. For instance, how different was Moses from Isaiah? How different was Elijah from David? How unlike each other were John and Paul, St. Francis and Luther, Finney and Thomas Akempis? The differences are as wide as human life itself. The differences of race and nationality and education and temperament and personal qualities. Yet these men all walked, each in his own day, upon a high road of spiritual living far above the common man. Their differences must have been incidental and in the eyes of God of no significance. In some vital quality, they must have been alike. And then Tozer asks the question, what was that quality? And he answers it. I venture to suggest that the one quality which they had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open toward heaven. Something urged them Godward. Without attempting anything like a profound analysis, I shall say simply that they had spiritual awareness and that they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. They differed from the average person in that when they felt the inward longing, they did something about it. As David neatly put it, when thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. End of quote. What is he saying? He's simply saying the difference with these men was they had developed a spiritual desire and hunger to obey God. And that's the thing that drove them. Notice, secondly, as we read in Nehemiah, that obedience is related to humility. In the 13th verse, we are told that the heads of the fathers, the households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to hear Ezra. Now, I'm sure that many of these people who came to hear Ezra teach were older than Ezra was. Some of these men were grandfathers. Others were scribes. They were all members of Ezra's peer group, if you will. But they came and they said, would you please teach us? We want to learn. Let me suggest to you that one of the keys to being able to learn and to obey is to come with a spirit of humility, to come with the desire that God would teach you and to be open toward the teaching of his word in your own life. There are a number of places in the word of God where we are told not to be wise in our own eyes. Have you noticed how often that's in the Bible? For instance, Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Proverbs 26:12 says, Seest thou a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope of a fool than in him. <laughs> Isaiah 5:21 says, Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And Romans 12:16 says, Be not wise in your own conceits. Why are those verses in the Bible? Those verses are in the Bible to remind us of a very important truth, and that is the man who is filled up with himself has got no room for God. A man who is so impressed with what he knows is never going to ask God what he needs to know. So one of the keys to understanding and one of the keys to the road of obedience is to come to the place where you recognize you don't have all the answers. 
Now, if you recognize it of your own volition, blessed are you. If you don't, God will teach that to you in a very painful process. God has a wonderful little school he enrolls his children in called the School of Humility. And sometimes he uses painful processes to remind us how very unprepared we are apart from the Spirit of God in our life. These men came to Ezra and they said, would you please teach us? Would you please unfold the Word of God? They had a spirit of receptivity and desire and humility and hunger. J.I. Packer, a man whose writings I greatly appreciate, once wrote, not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. It is feared that many Christians spend all their lives in too unhumbled and conceited a frame of mind to ever gain anything from God at all. End of quote. If you see a person who's all wrapped up in what he knows, you can be sure that God will not teach him much until he is emptied of himself. So they came, first of all, with a hunger to hear the word of God, and they came, secondly, humbled in that they initiated the process and they said, would you please teach us? And Ezra became their teacher. Now, the heart of this section in Nehemiah 8 is wrapped up in this third principle about obedience. Obedience is not only related to hunger and to humility, but obedience is related to honesty. And this is truly an amazing thing that we read. And I want to help you understand the background of this so you can get the impact of what happened in this record. For we read that they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now, here's what's going on in this story. On this occasion, a notable discovery was made as Ezra was teaching from the law. The discovery was that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Now, this was at once recognized as a challenge to their obedience. Are they going to do this? Oh, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, so what's the big deal about dwelling in booths? Well, here was something which had not been observed for over a thousand years in the history of Israel. If you go down to verse 17 in the 8th chapter, please note what it says. It says, For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. So all the way back to Joshua's time, they had ceased to observe the Feast of Tabernacles, which is what this feast is all about. Nobody had observed it. You can take the most glorious days of Solomon and David, and there was no observance of the Feast of Tabernacles. You can look at all of the kings and the judges and the prophets who came in between David and Ezra and you will see a whole section of Jewish history where the Feast of Tabernacles was not observed at all. And then one day these people are reading in the Bible. And as they read in the Bible that Ezra is explaining to them, you know, you should go out and gather all these twigs and everything and make yourself a little hut and sit out in the hut and observe the Feast of Tabernacles. And I can just hear the exegete saying, well, you know, you have to understand that culturally. <laughs> I mean, that isn't really for today. If you understand the culture of that, you really, I mean, God doesn't really expect us to go out and sit in a hut. I mean, no way. But you see, these folks had come to the word of God with such a naive simplicity about them. They were so honest that they said, 
God says we're supposed to be sitting in huts and observing the feast. Why don't we do that? And they looked at each other. I could just see it. It is just like the light went on. Well, well, when do we start? Okay, enough Bible teaching for today. Let's go get the sticks and let's get the huts built. And they just came to the word of God with that kind of simple honesty. To obey this required unbelievable inconvenience. They had to argue within themselves that maybe this didn't make any sense today, but it was evident that God had said it, so maybe they should do it. And they obeyed. My friends, obedience is related to honesty. Just taking God's word and understanding it and letting the integrity of the book speak to your own heart. I think we've explained away far too much of God's word culturally and every other way. Now, I understand there are cultural things we need to understand to understand the real meaning of the Word of God. I also understand the importance of the progress of revelation. I know the dispensations. I understand we don't offer animal sacrifices like the Jews did in the Old Testament. I understand all of that. But if we are not careful, we are taking the hard sayings of the Word of God that we really don't want to obey, and we culturalize those sayings so that we have come up with a convenient way not to be obedient to the Word of God. And I love this passage of Scripture which says, hey, nobody's done this for a thousand years. Well, you know, if they haven't done it for a thousand years, we shouldn't. Well, yeah, it says right here we're supposed to do it. And they did it. Often reminds me when I read of this of Noah. Can you imagine the process through which Noah went when God told him to build an ark in a place where there was absolutely no water, where they had never seen rain, rain had not happened yet. And he's out there building this huge thing, and people are coming by. And I know you've all heard Flip Wilson and some of the others make fun of this and kind of joke about it, and it does have a sense of humor in it. You can't help but notice. What are you building, Noah? I'm building an ark. What is an ark? Well, it's for when it rains. What is rain? Well, you know, when water falls out of the sky. Oh? What are you going to do with this? Well, we're going to put animals in it, and we're going to live in it, and when the rain comes down and the water comes up, we're going to float around on the top of the earth. Sure, Noah. Right. And he just kept right on banging. Putting that thing together. Why? Because he had an honest simplicity about God's will in his life. And I don't think we will ever come to grips with what it means to be obedient until we can open this book on our knees and say, God, I don't know what you have for me today. But whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Whether it seems to make sense to me or not, whether other people are doing it or not, I'm going to do it. Obedience is related to honesty. The fourth thing I learned in this passage of Scripture is that obedience is related to habit. I want you to notice as you read on through the end of this chapter that it says that day by day, verse 18, from the first day until the last day, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Now, even after they'd had that one long day when the law was read and explained, the people evidently wished for more of the same. Their appetite for the word of God was insatiable. In fact, that's the way it works, isn't it? The more we feed our hunger for the word of God, literally feed it, the more our hunger grows. I've explained that to you before. Spiritual hunger works exactly the opposite from physical hunger. Spiritual hunger grows the more we feed it. Physical hunger grows the more we neglect it. 
If you don't eat for a while, the hungrier you get. But in the spiritual realm, the more you eat, the hungrier you get. And it's all right to be fat spiritually. It's all right to put meat on your bones spiritually, just to keep eating. Now, you need to get exercise, too, so you don't get flabby spiritually, but it's all right to get fat spiritually. Because the more you eat, the more you want to eat. And that's what happened to these people. They got three hours of the Word of God on one day, and they came back the next day. On the second day, they said, could we do this again? I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a pastor of a church like that. Could we have church on Monday, Pastor? Instead, everybody, you know, I don't mind it when you look at your watch. It's when you shake it that bothers me, you know. <laughs> so they have a hunger. And for seven days, they have their Bible conference. One of the real exciting things I get to do periodically is go to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and participate in what they call Founders Week. The joy of that is that Founders Week is held in the Moody Church the historic Moody Church that was built around the ministry of D.L. Moody. There have been several fires and demolitions, but that church is the monument, in a sense, to the ministry of the man whose name is a household word among Christians. And the Moody Church is a church that is built in the historic fashion of old churches with a wraparound balcony and an ornate ceiling and seats 4,000 people. And they fill that thing up for the Founders Week conferences during the day. I preached at 9 o'clock in the morning, and the Moody Church was full on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And that's a very special place for me, because when I was a young man traveling with a quartet, we came to Chicago to sing in a little church out in the suburbs, and while we were there, we wanted to go visit Moody, and we went to the Moody Church, and nobody was there. Nobody was in the building, and I must have been 18, 19 years old, and I stood in the pulpit of the Moody Church, and I read a scripture out loud and then I said the most expository thing I could think to say. And when I went back home, I told everybody I had preached at Moody Church. <laughs> Got their attention in a hurry, I want you to know. Never in my wildest imagination did I ever dream I'd be given the opportunity to do that. Now, I want you to know at Founders Week, the meeting starts at 9 o'clock. And they have one meeting at 9 o'clock. And when that's finished... I got all done at 9 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, Warren Wiersbe came on. He did an hour. When he got done, Howard Hengrich came on. He did an hour. Then they break for lunch. Then they come back in the afternoon, and they have two more sessions. Then they break for dinner, and they come back at night. And you know there are people that come there, and they stay all day long for a whole week every day to hear the Word of God. I've always been glad if I could get on at 9 o'clock in the morning before everybody's worn out. But it's a tremendous thing because it's an evidence of the hunger of the people of God for the Word of God. That's what was going on right here. They wanted God's word, and the more they got, the more they wanted. I have learned that when the Bible was opened to the people at the time of the Reformation back in 1517, before that, in the Dark Ages, the Bible was a sealed book. You couldn't read it, and only a few people had copies of it. The priests had it. You couldn't buy one. If you did buy one, it was at great expense. But with the advent of printing, the new learning sweeping the world, and the spiritual impetus for men to be free to read and think for themselves, the Bible became the book of the people. Everybody got a copy of the Bible. Everybody began to read it. There is a history of England written by J.R. Green, and it is a sampling of the new day which dawned for England and its people. 
the Bible was eagerly read as it became available, and the people entered into their birthright of freedom, and they read the Bible as if they had never, ever dreamed it would be their privilege to do it. And that's the spirit that was going on in Nehemiah's day. They got a taste of the Word of God. They came back the next day and said, could we do this again? And the Scripture says, watch this now, and day by day, from the first day until the last day, Ezra read from the Bible day by day. That's what obedience will do for you. It'll create a habit in your heart to want to read the Word of God day by day. Obedience is related to habit. Then let me give you this principle. Obedience is related to happiness. Obedience is related to happiness. Notice verse 17. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths, sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua, the sons of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so. Now I've underlined this. And there was very great gladness. And there always will be when you obey. There is no way that you can know happiness apart from obedience. And you know what? I think in this text, their happiness stems from their boldness to obey that which had been neglected for a thousand years. Must have been specifically meaningful to them to realize we're the first people to have obeyed this for a millennium. Nobody has done this for a thousand years and we found it in here and we believe it and we just did it and look at us. We're sitting around in these booths. We have obeyed God. There is such a joy and excitement about obeying the Lord. Some of you I know have struggled all your life with being a witness for God. Do you remember when God put an opportunity in your place and you obeyed? God said, talk to that person and you swallowed hard and you talked to them and you literally gave a witness for your Lord and they walked away and you floated away. Why? Because you were so happy. There is nothing that I know of to beat the joy of obeying the Word of God. And the harder the command, the more joy there is in obeying it. The more difficult the saying, the more excitement and gladness comes to your heart when you obey what God has said. Obedience is related to happiness. In fact, what happened was these people got so glad they turned a holy day into a holiday. Do you see what happened? This holy day, which it had been neglected, now they have observed it. They got so happy, so excited. You can just read in the text of what was going on. They were just having a wonderful time of celebrating who God was and this feast, which was a reminder to them of God's wonderful blessing upon them as a nation. They turned a holy day into a holiday because they obeyed the God of heaven. And my friends, when you obey God, you will turn any holy day into a holiday because there's joy and excitement and happiness and gladness when you obey the Lord. Now, if you go back and read through this text again, just a few verses, you will discover some wonderful things about obedience. Obedience is related to hunger. It comes as the result of our desire to please God. It starts there. It starts in the will. Obedience is a matter of humility. If we are filled up with ourselves, we will never come to seek God's word so that we might obey it. Obedience is related to honesty. When we find it in the book, we just do it. We don't argue with it. We don't debate it. We don't try to interpret it away. We just do it. 
You know, that's the way you're supposed to read the Bible when you read it in the morning. Lord, give me my marching orders for today. Help me to know what you want me to do today. Obedience is related to honesty. Obedience is related to habit. The more you do it, the more you want to do it till it becomes a day-by-day thing. And finally, obedience is related to happiness. There will be great gladness in your heart when you obey God's word. The second step to renewal is getting serious about obedience. And thank you for joining us for the Friday edition of Turning Point. It's my wonderful privilege on this day every week to encourage you to get to church on the weekend. I hope you will do that. Uh, Your presence in church has never been more important than it is now. If you feel safe, if you feel confident, uh, go to church and be there with the people of God and worship and encourage one another. These are very challenging days with all that's going on in the world. We actually need personal fellowship with other believers and teaching from the Word of God and uh, corporate worship more than we ever have before. I hope you'll take advantage of the weekend and go to church. And then find us on television. We're all over the place uh, on the weekend. Usually not when you're in church, but you have a DVR. Use that. And we'll see you right here on Monday. Our message today originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is a blessing in your life, tell us about it by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of O.S. Hawkins' latest book, The Prayer Code. 40 Scripture Prayers Every Believer Should Pray. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point's new 365-day devotional, Every Day with Jesus, is available now. Filled with inspirational readings from Dr. David Jeremiah and paired with Scripture, it will encourage you each day in your walk with God. This popular resource is yours with a gift of any amount in support of this program. And when you give a generous gift of $120 or more, you'll receive four copies so you can share them with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. 
The book of Proverbs is the most practical book ever written about education, mainly because it is more concerned with wisdom than knowledge, but also because of its priorities. For instance, there is a beautiful passage at the beginning of chapter 2 that talks about the rigorous pursuit of knowledge, how we must search diligently for knowledge, like we would search for hidden treasure. And then it describes the payoff, what we get for our efforts in the pursuit of knowledge. And then Proverbs 2, 5 says, You will discover the knowledge of God. Only the knowledge of God gives value to all other branches of knowledge. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the knowledge of God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.